Well, a message this morning is taken from Psalm 91. It'll be for this week and next week. Um, you know, I don't realize I haven't been up here for a while. They were supposed to remain seated during the hymn so we can stand for the reading of God's word. So my apologies, but you must stand again for the reading of God's word. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes to see the recompense of the wicked. Because you, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague shall come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him, rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, God bless the reading and now the proclamation of his word. Please be seated. Psalm 91, what a beautiful psalm this is, what a strengthening word from God this is, what an appropriate psalm this is in these times of unrest, these times that can cause so much fear within people, including God's people, if we're honest. These times where so many things are happening, some seen and some unseen, just as this psalm will address for us. Psalm 91 is our topic for this morning. And this morning will be just verses 1 and 2. And then next week, God willing, when I come here again in the afternoon, come to this pulpit again in the afternoon, we will be able to go into some of the more specific things that God says he's going to watch over his people against. C.H. Spurgeon wrote of this psalm, In the whole collection there is not a more cheering psalm. Its tone is elevated and sustained throughout. Faith is at its best and speaks nobly. And the great Puritan Matthew Henry wrote of this psalm that because the promises of the psalm apply to Christ Jesus our Lord and come to us through him, they are more sweet and sure to all believers. So in a collection of precious gems, which is the Psalter, Psalm 91 stands out with this glittering beauty that demands our attention and most especially demands our attention in these days of turbulence and uncertainty and danger. In this psalm, we find encouragement for the ebbs and flows of life. In this psalm, we are reminded of God's self-made commitment to his people, that he is a veil of protection that meets the need of the moment. It is, as Derek Kidner, Kidner put it, versatile, individual, and miraculous. 
Like Romans chapter 8, verse 38, where the Apostle Paul lists the many perils we face and all the possible things that could move us away from God, he concludes that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so also, Psalm 91 leaves no stone unturned that could reveal a danger of which God is unaware, of which God is unconcerned, and against which God will not take action. A psalm for danger, a psalm for times of uncertainty, a psalm for dangers behind and dangers before, for dangers seen, dangers sneaking. It's a bulwark that quells our fears in times of danger and uncertainty, times of COVID and all its variants, times of inflation and the unrest that it causes. Times where every other week on the news we read about some maniac with an assault weapon killing people for no other reason than to kill them. And how do we quell our fear beyond just admitting that sometimes these things cause fear in us? We, our fear, fear is quelled by the fear of the Lord. And what do you fear? How about those things that I just mentioned, that I just listed? Inflation, economic uncertainty, danger in the streets, people with guns that don't know how to use them or will use them wrongly, COVID, monkeypox, and what's next? God only knows. Only Jesus knows tomorrow. Psalm 91 91 is a word that prepares us for that which only Jesus knows, which is tomorrow. So like a strong three-fold chord, There are three verses working in this psalm in concert. And the first, and this is my own appellation for it, the first is in verses 1, 3 through 9a, and then 10 to 13. The majority of the text go to this first voice, which I have labeled, and Lord willing, you'll understand why as we go through this, the choir. I label the choir to have most of the text of this psalm. And then there's one who I label the hero. And again, God willing, you'll understand why I've labeled him so, but he speaks very little, this hero. He speaks in verse 2, and he speaks in the first half of verse 9. Excuse me, the second half of verse 9. And the third voice in the last three verses of the psalm is the Lord God. So our message this morning, or this afternoon, is the first two verses where we hear from the choir and we hear from the hero, and though the Lord does not speak, Yet all the attention is where it must be and should be and always has to be, which is on him, on the Lord God. Verse 1 is the choirs. And again, Lord willing, you understand why I've called them this. But it's he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So what is the choir's purpose? The choir's purpose is to encourage the hero to keep himself under God's care. We could think of Joshua, we could think of David going out at the head of the army, leaving the camp to meet an enemy, perhaps the Amalekites or the Moabites or whomever is trying to attack and do harm to God's people. And think of it this way, where the people are lined up on either side, and here's Joshua at the head of the army going out to meet this enemy, and here's these people taking the part of what I'm calling the choir and calling out to him and reminding him that he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of of the Almighty. <clears throat> the leader then turns and gives an answer that he will indeed put all his hope and all his trust 
in the Lord God as he goes into the dangers for the benefit of the people who are sending him off. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are in these first two verses four names of God. We'll probably take most of our time with these. Like I said, we'll come back to the rest of the psalm on another Sunday, God willing. There's four names of God in these two verses, and each one is saying something different about the God whose protection never fails. Now, the first of these names is the Most High. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. That's Elyon, or El Elyon in the Hebrew. And Elyon, or El Elyon, the Most High, tells of God's transcendent majesty, of his otherness, of his being there and not here, of his inaccessibility, if you will. It's a name that first appears in Genesis 14. And you can read that for homework this afternoon, if you like. But in Genesis 14, Abraham, after a successful military adventure, not adventure, venture, meets with this strange figure named Melchizedek, who comes into the history with no introduction. He has no family, no genealogy, no history, as the author of the Hebrews says. He just shows up, but we know that he is the priest of the Most High God. And he's the priest of the Most High God there in what became Jerusalem. This is the first time he appears. Now, Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything that he gained in his victory. And then he said to his allies, the other kings who fought with him, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God Most High, Elyon, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. So Elyon, God Most High, the one who is there, the one who is not here, the one, Elyon, who is high and not close. Elyon may have been on Paul's mind when he wrote in 1 Timothy 6.18 that God dwells in unapproachable light. Melchizedek's entrance helps to confirm this. It's so odd, it's so strange, he just shows up. But Melchizedek was, according to Hebrews 7.3, without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning or days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. He's a mysterious figure that corresponds to this unapproachable majesty that is El Elyon. And yet, we can approach this God most high. This Elyon who is so high as to be unattainable, unapproachable, there, not here, other, and not like us. So different and so far, we can approach this God. Now, how can we dwell with him who is so different, so other, so far, so incomprehensible as to be that kind of a God? How so? Because Jesus has made him known to us. Jesus Christ, according to John 1.18, he, God the Son, who took on flesh, he has made God known to us. The actual word there in the gospel, in the original Greek, is he exegeted God. To exegete is to explain, to draw out the meaning of something, not to read in, but to draw out the meaning. It's Jesus Christ who draws out for us the meaning of what it is to be, of who God is and what God has done for his people. Because of Jesus, even this unapproachable El Elyon, this God most high, this God most different, this God most far away, draws near to even sinners such as us. El Elyon unapproachable, there, not here, and yet, in Jesus Christ, with us. 
and not there. The second name is Almighty. He's the Almighty, and that's El Shaddai. Many of us are familiar with this name, El Shaddai. That's his omnipotence, his unrestrained power displayed in his imminence, his with usness, his power with us, his power worked for us. This power is unimaginable. This is the God who spoke and all that is became. This is the God who spoke. And Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day after he died for our sins. That's omnipotence. That's unconstrained power. That's power unbounded. That's power beyond imagining. El Shaddai is the power of God brought to the needs of men. El Shaddai, the Almighty One, who works his power for individuals, for peoples, and for nations. It's God Most High who brings his working to bear upon the needs that we have. Now the names are not related, but where El Shaddai works God's power in the here and now of our lives, this idea fits Jesus' name, where the angel told Joseph, you shall call him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. It was El Shaddai who told Abraham, walk before me and be blameless, implicitly promising his divine watch care and his nearness. So here we have he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High, of El Yon, that unapproachable one. He who dwells there is in the shadow of the Almighty, El Shaddai, who works his power to the needs of men here in the, on this earth during our lifetimes. The choir tells the hero... Again, my names, I hope you understand why I picked them. That if he dwells in his shelter, he will abide in his shadow. Shelter is what Lot offered the angels when they came into Sodom. And the reason, that's the reason why he would sacrifice his daughters to that crowd who came pounding on his door. Because a shelter is a sacred place which security cannot be breached or must not be breached. Anyone given entrance into that shelter has to be protected. And this is the word that he uses here. This is the idea that should come forth. In this, he abides under Shaddai's shadow, in that shelter, under his covering, a shadow enveloping all who have placed themselves under his guardianship. So the choir has reminded him of these truths so that his confidence will be bolstered. His eyes set on Christ, and his success, which would be their success, would be assured. Now you might think that El Shaddai, which is God's power brought to bear on our needs, would be the refuge, and El Yon, who's high up, would be the shadow. Yet our God, in all his works, and all his person, and all his descriptions, is but one true and living God. He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And as much as he's El Yon, and high, and mighty, and other, and different, he's El Shaddai, who's all-powerful, and with us. We don't split God up, and the names don't give us different gods. He's all one God, one triune God. And even we who trust God, even we who've known and trusted God for a very long time, for decades even, we need these reminders, don't we? We need these reminders that our confidence is well-placed, that as we dwell, we will abide. And we don't just 
dwell in a place because it feels right to us. We're dwelling in a place that is a shelter where God has committed himself to our protection, to our good. We dwell under a shadow, an enveloping, embracing shadow where God knows each one who is under there, just like Jesus Christ in John chapter 10, where he knows his sheep. And we get that picture of the shepherd who watches each sheep coming into that sheepfold where he's going to close it up at the, end of the, at the end of their entrance and guard them. He's going to lay and he's going to be the door to the sheep. But he knows each one of the sheep. Many of us have heard this picture of the Middle Eastern shepherd, the ancient Near Eastern shepherd, who takes each sheep and he can pick them up and he recognizes sheep and he checks them for health and takes the burrs out of the fur and such like that. And that's sort of the picture we have here, dwelling under the shadow of El Shaddai, that power being brought to bear for your needs. Because God, knowing each one under that shadow, just like Jesus, knowing each sheep that comes into his fold. Even we who trust God and have trusted him for many years and have seen his work in our lives and others' lives, we need these reminders that our confidence in God is well-placed. As Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Why does he mean by not ashamed? He means that the gospel accomplishes that for which God sent it. He means that his confidence in the gospel will never do him wrong, that the gospel will do that which God promises it will do. And we need these reminders. We need this choir in that sense, calling out to us and reminding us that, yes, in Christ, you're well placed. In Christ, your confidence is correct. In Christ, your faith must remain. And Christ's promises are all yes and amen. All the word of God is fulfilled in him. We need the church, we need our brothers and sisters to be this choir reminding each other that if we dwell in God's protective custody, we do abide steadfast and safe. And those are just the first two names. Elyon and Shaddai. El Elyon and El Shaddai. And then the first two metaphors, shelter and shadow. Now the next two come from this one who I've labeled the hero. This one who I believe is being prepared by the choir for this great feat of arms or some spiritual battle. Something on behalf of those who are sending him off with these confidences, these reminders. Verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, wherever he's about to go, whatever he's about to do, fight a battle like Joshua, like David, Approach God like the high priest once a year going into the holiest place. Whatever he's about to do, perhaps a preacher, a pastor coming up on a pulpit to preach the gospel as your pastors do Sunday after Sunday. Whatever that great adventure is or great venture is. He's committed to doing it in full trust and confidence in Christ. For without faith it is impossible to please him. So he returns this response. I will say to the Lord, as I go out on your behalf, as I fight this battle for your safety, as I come to preach the gospel for your good, I will say to the Lord that he is my refuge and he is my fortress. He's my God in whom I trust. So there we get the third name of God. He's El Yon, he's El Shaddai, and now he's the Lord. He's Yahweh. Self-existent, the one who has life in himself, unchanging, Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. 
This is the Lord who answers to no one or no thing. This is the name of God revealed to Moses when the Lord came to him to keep his word to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to redeem his people from Egypt and their slavery there. Nothing can keep Yahweh from keeping his word. So the hero promises that he will indeed call upon this faithful, reliable Yahweh, this God, in all his endeavors on their behalf. <coughs> Excuse me. He says, Yahweh is my refuge and my fortress, a place to flee. He's a refuge. Like the cities in Israel where the manslayer could go, if found innocent by the elders there, if he's innocent of murder, he could abide there. His safety had to be guaranteed by the elders of the city according to God's word. That's the refuge. He promises that Yahweh will be this for himself as he goes out on their behalf. Like our hymn, Put no confidence in princes, nor for help on man depend. He will die to dust returning, and his purposes shall end. And he is my fortress, my stronghold, my very present help in time of need. That's Psalm 46. He's my mighty wall. He is impervious to attack. See, in Christ is our safety. His word guides you. His spirit, his spirit empowers you. You know, Pastor Brian preached last week about grieving the Holy Spirit, about the risk of stepping outside the gate of the fortress, about going away from God's safety and putting your safety into your own hands, which is a foolish move to make. In the early 1980s, there was a made-for-TV movie called The Scarlet and the Black. It's a true story of Monsignor Hugo Flaherty, Flaherty played by Gregory Peck. And this Monsignor had this whole network for getting Jews out of Nazi-controlled Italy. He's Christopher Plummer played Herbert Koppler, who was the SS officer who wanted to kill Flaherty so he could stop spiriting Jews out of there. But so long as O'Flaherty was within the confines of the Vatican, he was safe. Couldn't be touched, not by sniper's rifle or anything. So O'Flaherty, knowing he's being watched, Gregory Peck would sometimes go out and dance, and he'd just let his foot go so close to the edge, but he couldn't go out by a centimeter. Well, this is sort of what it's like for us to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. As long as we dwell and abide within the fold of God's great shepherd of the sheep, who is Jesus Christ, we're safe. When we stop dwelling under El Elyon or abiding in the might of El Shaddai, we're in immediate danger. So Christian men and women... Brothers and sisters in the Lord, stay under his shadow, abide in his shelter, avail yourself of the means of grace he's given us, sit under the preaching of the word, study the word of God yourself, pray in the spirit always. Keep yourself in that protection, know what that protection is, and know what the dangers are. That's all Yahweh. And the fourth name is Elohim, which is God, the name in Genesis, in the beginning Elohim created. But there's a change here. He says, I'll say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress. And what's he going to say to Yahweh, to El Shaddai, to El Yon? What will he say? What must we say when we step out the door? We prepare to lead our children or our wives in worship. When I or Conley or Brian presume to stand here and bring you God's holy and true word, what must we say? We must say what the hero is going to say here. The hero's answer to the choir's encouragement, my God in whom I trust. But not just Elohim. Not my Elohim, it's Elohai. 
It's the possessive form. It's how Hebrew would change a word to this is mine. I take possession. And this name is the privilege that we have in Jesus Christ, who's the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him, and no one has the right to call God my God but by faith in him. So Elohim, the God who created the heavens and earth, to Elohai, my God, who recreated me by giving me faith to believe in Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord gained for us on the cross, the right to call God my God. He said, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Later in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Can you hear Elohai in there? I live by faith in my God. This God, this El Yon, this high and away God, El Shaddai, this mighty God. And I can call him mine. My protector, my shelter, my refuge, my shadow. Because of Jesus Christ, who on the cross bought us that privilege. From Elohim to Elohai is so huge. Any great endeavor for the Lord would do well to begin this way. With a chorus of brothers and sisters singing the truths about the Lord our God to those who are going to the front lines and singing to them in Jesus' name as they go out in Jesus' name. Charles Spurgeon once said of his church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle, that his powerhouse was this cadre of saints who prayed constantly. Imagine a church that has this kind of prayer. Imagine if this church increased its prayer. And the prayer is common. We're going to go to prayer in a few moments. Really, I will end in just a few moments. And we will go to prayer together. And that is the powerhouse of this church, like any church that goes to God in prayer. Imagine, though, if we prayed all the more, if we prayed with greater intensity, if our hands were clenched tighter, if our thoughts were more focused upon Christ, and we prayed every moment the gospel was being proclaimed, we prayed every moment our brothers and sisters were out in the neighborhood proclaiming his word to our neighbors, if we prayed every moment that our brothers were before the Planned Parenthood site in San Jose, Imagine what might God do. I have no word of God that's going to tell me he will do this, and I guarantee it, nothing like that. But just let your thoughts go there for a moment. If we were that choir, calling out to those who are going out in Jesus' name for our benefit, and reminding them, if you dwell in the shelter of the Most High, he will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, He's your God because of Jesus you're going to proclaim. If we did something like that, I'm not changing anything we do or don't do. It could even be metaphorical. Brethren, let us pray. Let us call out encouragement to those who go out on our behalf. Let us remember all the ministries of this church and how hard people work in the physical sense, but the spiritual work must be at least as much engaged. Imagine, just imagine, if our faithful brothers and sisters who go out on our in our name actually heard us and saw us. How much greater spiritual vitality might they have if a brother or sister came up to them afterwards and said, you know, I prayed for you when you were on the street. I prayed for you when you were in front of Planned Parenthood. I wasn't there. 
and you didn't see me send you off, but I was praying for you. Tell me, how did it go? What happened? Who did you meet? Who heard the gospel of Jesus Christ from your lips and that sort of thing? And what an encouragement, what an expanding ministry that would be from you to those. Each Sunday, your pastors with your worship team, we set out on a great spiritual endeavor to bring you the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should hear a chorus like this one. We should be reminded of who it is who we represent. We should be reminded that we go for your benefit from that study where these sermons are crafted to this pulpit where the gospel is proclaimed to you. We need to hear the support and encouragement. You need to give it as much as you need to hear it. Our musicians need to hear this sort of encouragement and strengthening word. Our Sunday school teachers need to hear this from you. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. How good it is to be reminded of this so that when fear wells up, when we lose our grip on Christ and sink into self-dependency, be it ever so slight, when we forget that the Lord our God, the Lord my God, is our refuge and our fortress, this chorus will restore the fear of God and quell all other fears. Amen? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of worship that you've given us. I thank you for like-minded churches. I thank you, Father, for the gospel of Jesus Christ and for the word that you've given us that we can proclaim and be reminded that he is our refuge and our fortress. He is the one who allows us to say, my God in whom I trust. And because of him, we go to you in prayer in a few moments. We know, Father, that as we abide in your shelter, you do hear us and will answer. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.